0: Well, we're studying Genesis. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 7, and we've only been in this book since uh, January. Uh, we're moving into the middle of the the year, and we're here at chapter 7. And I've been looking forward to getting into these verses, uh, uh, chapter 6, 7, and 8, because it's all about Noah and the flood, and because the, uh, uh, Ken Kenham has opened up the ark and there was a brother in our fellowship that actually went back to that opening, and he Said it was awesome. Um, Esther and I are going to go in, in September. If you want to go with us, you're welcome to go. Um, n- not saying that there'll be any special deals. The hotels are, are pretty reasonable, but you still got to fly to Kentucky. So if you want to go, you can go. We're, we're taking uh, reservations here for the next few weeks and then we'll buy tickets. And we're going to go back and see that arc, that life size. Uh, ark with all its rooms and all its little cages for all the animals and, and all the history. It's, it's, a, it's a life-size de- kind of dedication to the ark, and when you see it, it's really a testimony to the world that we believe that what the Bible says is true. So I'm looking forward to, uh, to going back there and seeing it. With your Bibles open to chapter 7, let's ask God's blessing in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this evening and, and a time to study your word I pray, Lord, that we would come away. Come away from the busyness of the week, even our day. Come away from the heat and the, and the work and be refreshed, Lord, in your word. Speak to us, Lord, through your word. This historical account, Lord, that really, really teaches us of your grace and your plan to redeem fallen man. So, God... I pray that you would just really show us your truth and, and encourage us. I pray for anyone here tonight that that's uh, just discouraged. Lord, won't you lift him up? Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill us, Lord, in this room with with the truth. And uh, Father, we can't help but uh, think about the Otaki family, a, a family that was a part of this church for many years, and now uh, Veronica this morning has gone on to be with the Lord. And we know, Lord, that you had a time and a place, but we also know that to be absent from this body is to be present with you. And right now, she's standing before you, Lord Jesus. What a treasure, what a blessing. Her eyes are are seeing things clearer now. She's uh, fully redeemed and glorified, and we just thank you for that. We pray for Gus and the four children left behind. We ask, God, your peace for their family. or bless them. We thank you, God, for what you're doing in this fellowship, and we just turn ourselves over to you and, and your desire to work in our lives right now. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. I've entitled the sermon tonight because... Noah is now with his family. He's going to go into the Ark. Chapter 7. He's going to go in there. And you're going to read that. So we're going to do this whole chapter because it's very repetitious. We're going to read that several times. You'll hear this phrase repeated again and again. Just kind of the, the account that we've heard of. And chapter 7 really is this repetition, just to drive home the point that now Noah and his family are safe inside. Uh, the ark, I've entitled this riding out the storm because that's really where the family is. They're in the ark, they're going to ride out the storm, this, this deluge of judgment. And that's really what you have to keep in mind as we study this. This storm, this deluge, this, this catastrophic flood that God brings about as judgment upon sinful man. Remember, God is righteous, he is holy, and he will not stand for sin, He's going to deal with it. He's going to judge it. And we'll make some application to the future judgment at the end of the study. It's very clear to see. But the interesting thing about the flood and its account, when you think about it, is that God is more concerned with man's righteousness than with preserving his creation, as magnificent and wonderful as it is. You know, we studied That first chapter of Genesis, and we discovered how marvelous, how wonderful God's creation is. But God's not preserving any of it. And the reason that he brings this judgment on the world is because the sinful heart of man. And so God is more concerned with the spiritual heart of man than the physical world. Important for you to realize that. Sin has a consequence. God will judge Sin. That's the scripture uh, is replete with that. We see it again and again. And I say that because the Bible reveals that God loves man so much, his creation, that he is willing to extend grace. And he's been very gracious with these wicked people year after year after year. He's always had a witness to share to them. God's standard of righteousness and, and that re- they need to repent over and over they've heard the message Noah was a preacher of righteousness Enoch was a preacher of righteousness they had the Sethites that were really righteous people and they were standing up for God and living for God But after they intermarried with the Cainites things just spiral out of control this race of people they were just so corrupt that God now judges them the whole planet Is going to be judged. The planet was created for man, and because man has sinned, God is going to judge the world. He's going to wipe out his creation. It's a devastating, planet-altering, catastrophic flood, as we'll see as we move into chapter 8. But one more important thing about this chapter is that this, this chapter is just a historical running narrative. It's not didactic. It's not teaching us anything. Really, it's just laying out the, the occurrence, the historic occurrence of what happened. That's why we'll see again and again uh, the, the, the events unfold. And he repeats those events several times in this chapter just to help us understand that God will judge sin. But most importantly, that God has a plan to redeem And these eight people, we're going to focus on them because they're safely inside the ark. God is redeeming them. God is saving them from his devastating judgment of the world. Now, so far we've learned, let me just really quickly say, that I believe and through the genealogy we read in chapter 5, we understand that the world from its one week creation, the six days of creation, up until the time... Of the destruction of the world, the flood, it's about 1,700 years. And you go, well, how, how could you get that? Well, you just go back and figure it out. Do math and look at all the genealogy there. You'll notice a couple things about the genealogy. After they point out the names of the people, there's a phrase that says, and he died. And then another name, and he died, and he died. And he died. Chapter uh, 5 is, is, again, filled with death, the result of man's But if you look at that that, um, genealogy, you'll discover about 1,700 years after Adam was created, sin has corrupted man totally, completely. And God says in chapter 6, if you want to look at it with me, go back to chapter 6 and look at verse 5. Chapter 6, verse 5. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only Evil, continually and then look at verse 7 chapter 6, so the Lord said I will destroy man whom I created from the face of the earth, both man and beast creeping thing and birds of the air for I am sorry that I have made them but just when you think all hope is lost, I love this look at verse 8 but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord so we're introduced to this man in chapter 6, Noah, and his family. This one man and his family who is rescued by the grace of God. And that really is what we look at here. It's not all destruction. We see God's rescue, God's redemption, God's plan of redemption that begins in the very first chapter chapter of the first book of the Bible and runs throughout the scriptures the wonderful scarlet thread of redemption that we see in our Bible so Noah, he's living in a culture dominated by sin but because he obeys God, God rescues him because he's obedient because he loves God, because he he keeps his focus on God, even when there's sin all around him and violence all around him so God rescues Noah and the other seven in the the box, the, the chest, the, the ark. It's not a ship. It's a rescue box, as I called it before. Look at verse fourteen. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch. So God tells Noah to build this box. In the middle of a field, and on obviously on his property, Noah builds this big rectangular wooden box. And and we know that it was, was not really like a modern ship with a bow and stern. It, it didn't have a sail. It didn't have a, a mast. It didn't have a rudder. It didn't have an engine. There's no pilot. There's no reason to have a captain to, to, to guide it. It's just a big rescue box. And God was going to bring the family in and all the animals, close the door, and save everybody inside the box while he destroys the world and Noah's ark again is massive verse 15 tells us that we get the dimensions the ark was 450 feet long 75 feet wide 45 feet high and again there's a replica of it built in Kentucky I'm going to go see that thing but but it's a big box flat bottom flat sides no bow you'll see the bow on Ken so I'm not really sure why he did that I like to ask him but the, again, the scripture just tells us, tells us these dimensions. There's no bending of wood. They just put the wood together and built this big box. And uh, verse 17, God tells Noah why why he's going to build the ark. And behold, I myself am bringing flood waters on the earth. So finally, after Noah's going to build this thing, God tells him why, flood waters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. And then God tells Noah and his family that they're going to be saved. Verse 18, but I'll establish my covenant with you. So God makes a covenant with him. And you shall go inside or into the ark. So God's going to use Noah as a remnant because he's righteous. And God's going to build a nation and a world around this one righteous man and his family with this covenant. He's going to make a covenant with him. And verse 19, and, and of every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you, and they shall be, ma- they shall be male and female. Verse 20 really tells us how the animals came. It says of the birds of the air after their kind, animals after their kind, every creeping thing of the earth after its kind, two of everything will come to you. So supernaturally, God's going to bring the animals. You've seen those pictures, the little you know, rainbow and the ark and the funny little elephant, you know, cartoon character, and there's two of them and two donkeys and two just kind of walking in these little uh, line right into the ark. And that God caused them to come. And it was Noah's job to keep them alive. Thus Noah, verse 22, thus Noah did everything according to God, commanded, so he did. So God is an obedient servant. God is a righteous man, and he's doing just what God wants him to do. He believes God. Nobody else believes there's a God. Everybody, the, the whole society is corrupt. They're rejecting God and his rule in their life. But Noah is receiving everything and doing exactly what God told him to do. Think about it. God commands Noah to build something that's never been built before in an an enormous structure. In this culture that's so evil, he's building this boat, and then finally God tells him why, but Noah is working for 120 years. I remember a few weeks ago, I was talking about, you know, some people have projects in their garage, and they want to build a canoe, Airplanes, people build things in their garage. You know, it takes them years and years to make 120 years in the backyard, he's got this building project going on. It would have required tremendous resources, right? So that's why many Bible scholars believe that Noah had, was a wealthy man. They believe he had money, he had funding, and he was able to bring all this wood together and bring these resources. He, he and his son's building for 120 years. And it's important to note, there's no mention of Noah saying, oh, Lord, uh, I don't think I can do that. Uh, I think it's too big for me to do, Lord. I mean, how many of us, when God asks us to do something, we say, oh, I can't do that. Oh, that's just too hard for me. But Noah, there's nothing, none of that. No whining, I, and I, I whine. I wish I didn't, but I do. There's none of that in Noah. So that, that's what makes him such a, a wonderful study here as we look at his character. So, Verse 22, thus thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him. Now, a couple of weeks ago on Sunday morning, if you were here, I took about 10 minutes in our study of Ruth to talk about types in the Bible. Really important for you to understand that there's types in the Bible. And an Old Testament type was revealing something true in the New Testament wasn't revealed, it was a mystery in the old, but it became, there's symbols and types throughout the Bible. And here we have, in this story, we have a, a type of salvation in this ark, this big rescue bike box. And the ark is a type of Christ, because you and I come to Christ for salvation, and we're rescued in Christ, just like Noah and his family were rescued in Christ. The Ark. So the Ark is a type of Christ, a rescue box, a means of transportation. The Ark brought Noah from the old world to the new world. Jesus brings us from the old man in his ways to new life in Christ. So we have this type again uh, in the scripture. So Noah is this wonderful type. Here And the ark is a type of Christ, pardon me, and and Noah and the ark. There's a lot of meaning in all of these things. So Noah, uh, we believe that Noah uh, is a real person. He lived in this real time and space. He obeyed God, and he entered the ark and took all this provision with him, obeying God completely. So here we come to chapter 7. And you're going to hear the story told again and again, but let's read it together, starting in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me, and out of all the people around, the whole generation, you're the only righteous. You shall take with you seven, each of every clean animal, a male and his female, two each of animals that are unclean. A male and his female. I'll I'll define that in a moment. Verse 3, also seven each of birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of all the earth. So God is going to preserve the species through bringing them on, on the ark. For after seven more days I will cause it to rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things, that I have made. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Verse 6 Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters were on the earth. So Noah, with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives, went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. So this chapter begins. Let me begin. There's a couple of things I want to. Talk about here. Verse one, there's an invitation. I want you to notice the invitation. Then the Lord said to Noah, Come, come into the ark, you and all your household, because I've seen that you're righteous before me in this generation. That word come, it's the first time it's used in the Bible here in, in this verse. And it's a command to Noah, but it's also an invitation. The same invitation, I believe, that we see over and over and over by God. A generous and gracious God calling you and I to come. And that choice that we make to come to God. That doesn't eliminate the fact that God calls us, that God works in salvation, that God does everything to draw us. It doesn't eliminate that. It just God gives us this opportunity. Come into the ark. Noah and his family. And they had to choose to go into the ark to be saved safe from the judgment of God, safe from the flood waters that were coming. So think about the people watching Noah build the ark. They're watching, watching. For 120 years, they walk down the road to work every day, and they're, what's he doing? Look what he's got. To do. It's getting bigger. It's, you know, 60 years into, it, halfway through. Look how big that thing is. What's he going to do with that side? They're watching all this. Listen to what he's saying. He's saying we had to repent. What's wrong with him? I'm not repenting. I mean, the people outside the ark, I'm sure they're remarking and saying different things. But but God takes this massive structure, 450 feet long, and 120 years Noah works on it. It's 100,000 square feet, and so it's hard to really imagine how large it is. It had ten thousand. It had thousands. Pardon me. Compartments, three different levels, as we've seen in the description in the earlier chapter. And it could carry all the animals of every species known at that time. Not a problem. Remember I did the, the, the boxcars and the sheep in each boxcar, 125,000 sheep. So a sheep's an average size animal. Smaller animals, some were a little bit bigger. But 125,000 animals easily could be put on that, that ark, much more than, than uh than there really were species. So everything could fit on there. And Noah, this whole time he's building the ark, he is preaching. How do we know? We'll look at this verse in 2 Peter. 2 Peter 2, verse 5. And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of the eight people, notice, a preacher of righteousness. So Noah was preaching about repentance, preaching about turn your ways. you Don't be evil anymore. Come to back to God. He was preaching these things bringing in the flood of the world of the ungodly. So Noah was preaching, preaching all this time. That's how we know he was a preacher of righteousness. For 120 years, he's telling people, God's going to destroy the entire planet. Unless you will repent, you're going to die. We're building this ark, and you can come in. You can come in. You have to repent to be in here. So that was his message over and over again. So this story, the story of Noah, teaches us really about God's love his desire to save mankind whosoever will and i say that because of the invitation he invites him come in to the ark come on in and the scriptures show that later in this in the new testament whosoever will god god accepts whosoever will and i say that because god's grace has always been available to any who will believe And we see that in the Old Testament. We see it in the New, the same God of both. God promised deliverance to Noah if he chose to enter the ark. So he invites him, verse one, come on into the ark. And he did that willfully. Now, why did God save these eight people? And it says right there at the end of verse one, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. If you go back to chapter six, verse nine, Look at chapter 6, verse 9. It says, Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. And, And then this other comment, which I really like, Noah walked with God. Noah had a relationship with God. Noah knew God. Noah spent time listening to God. Noah loved God. Noah worshiped God. Noah sacrificed to God. It's a beautiful picture of this man. Noah believed and served and obeyed God. Noah and his wife and his sons and his daughter-in-laws were the only righteous living in the world at this time. Billions of people, not millions, billions of people on the planet. Again, a calculation I made a few weeks ago, uh, you can go back and listen to that, but there's billions of people. These people lived for seven, eight, 900 years, and they could have a lot of kids, and their kids could have a lot more kids. And in 1,700 years, you can really populate a planet. I, we, we saw that from the 1850 to 2016, how our population has just dramatically increased in and, and just, you know, uh, 200 years and, or 150 years. You could easily have billions of people uh, at this time. So God saves them because Noah and his family are the only righteous living at that time. Now, the question becomes: Well, I thought there were other righteous people, weren't the Sethites righteous? Yeah, but they died. Chapter five: They lived and they died. They lived and they died. And so, at this point in time, these are the only ones. Uh, Enoch was righteous. Chapter five, verse twenty-four: He walked with God and was not. He was with God. So there, there were some righteous preachers or righteous men and women, but they had died, and um, this world was just corrupt and it was evil. It's interesting that Enoch, he preached against the ungodly of his day, and his son, remember his son? Methuselah. Methuselah was the oldest living person, the oldest living human being. Methuselah, his name means this. Now, you know, Bible names are important. Methuselah means when he is dead, judgment will come. So Methuselah dies after living for 969 or whatever it was years. And that's when the flood happened. Very interesting. There's, there's a reason for those names. Methuselah, again, 969 years, longer than, lived longer than every other human being. But like everyone else in that genealogy, chapter 5, he died in the year of the flood. So by the time we get to chapter 7, verse 1, there are only 8 people who love God on the planet it's kind of hard to believe until you start looking around what's going on in America and what's going on in the world today remember this society was a very violent society isn't that what we see is aren't you seeing that in America more and more and more violence in the world more and more Jesus said in the end times there'll be war and more rumors of war and so I see that. I see that it, it, it's getting worse. It's not getting better. It's getting more and more violent. And that's what was happening here. Just these eight people were saved. So God invites Noah on the ark. He says, come into the ark because you guys are, are righteous. He didn't say go. He didn't say, okay, get into that ark. He says, come into the ark. I love that. I think it's significant. He didn't say, go into the ark and I'll be watching you. He said, come into the ark and I'll be with you. That's the kind of grace we have in our God. Not a lightning bolt throwing God waiting for you to make a mistake so he can slap you upside the head or take something away from you or, or judge you for your inconsistency. No, no, no. Psalm 103 tells us that he doesn't treat the sinner after his own sin. God's too gracious and too loving to do that. But here... He invites them to come into the ark. I'll I'll be with you. Now, notice that God commanded my next point here. He commanded to take clean and unclean animals. What's up with that? Look at verse 2. You shall take with you seven of each and every clean animal, a male and his female, two of every other animals that are unclean, a male and a female. Now, throughout the Old Testament, after Genesis, but, but keep this in mind, especially in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, God defines a clean and an unclean animal. And there's been a lot said about that. There's a lot of people that will surmise that, well, you know, this, this animal is unclean. It was a bottom dweller. It was a lobster, and, and so disease and stuff. I mean, how many of you like lobster? When was the last time you died after you ate one? I mean, come on. <laughs> I, I, there's, there's different animals that were on this clean list that were used specifically for one purpose. What were the clean animals used for? Sacrifice. sacrifice. And so God had clean animals for sacrifice, and then he had other animals. And these people, I, I'm still seeing this. It's still, it's still foggy to me because um, we read earlier in the text, in the beginning, opening chapters of Genesis, how these people were really an advanced culture, the antediluvian people, the pre flood people. They had an advanced society. They had metal workers and all kinds. They had the livestock people, remember? And and so it it seems as though they were growing livestock and, and eating it, even though it was not they weren't supposed to eat it. Remember, it was an evil society. So they were doing stuff apart from God's command. Most people were vegetarians. And that's what the scriptures teach. That's what most scholars believe. And we'll see that change when we get to I think it's chapter nine we see that. That whole thing changed. But these animals were for sacrifice. And God had set aside these specific animals. And again, the first sacrifice recorded in the Bible is in chapter 3. Who made the first sacrifice? God. God made the first sacrifice. Why? Because Adam and Eve sinned. They were hiding from God. Adam, where are you? What are you doing? hiding from you because you told you, you were going to kill you were going to kill us if we did you eat from the did you do what I told you not to do and because of that the fall of man so what does God do he kills an animal and he covers them covers their bodies with this this animal skin God did the first sacrifice he killed that animal and took the skins and covered Adam and Eve and then in chapter 4 verse, verse 4 we have Cain and Abel the children of Adam and Eve and Cain was a worker out, you know, it, he was a gardener. He was the guy that grew stuff. And, and he brought an offering. And Abel brought an animal offering, animal sacrifice. God accepted Abel's, didn't accept Cain. Cain got upset, killed his brother. Again, these sacrifices, how did Cain and Abel know that they were supposed to sacrifice? And which animals he used? Well, God must have told them, Right? It's obvious that even though it's not recorded, that these people knew that sacrifices had to be made, blood sacrifices, animal sacrifices for these these people. They would have understood all about God's clean and unclean animal and this list that God had. And the whole point of the sacrifice was that it, illust- it it's all an illustration of of sin and how costly sin is. And when you sin, there's, there's a penalty and a price to pay. Still today, there's a price to pay. We have our communion services, and we remember that Jesus hung on the cross, his body was broken, and he bled for us. His blood was a sacrifice once and for all for your sin, for mine. He paid the penalty for our sin and became that innocent, substitute. So here you have these animals. They're clean animals. God wants seven, the perfect number, remember, in the Bible, seven, the complete number. So he wants seven of, of, of these clean animals because when the world is wiped out and the ark finally settles on ground, Noah's the first thing he's going to want to do is get out and build an altar and sacrifice and thank God for saving him. Imagine being on that, in that box in that stormy, you know, convulsing planet and all this water above the highest mountain. I mean, it's, it's insane. And so he's gonna wanna do this right away. He's gonna wanna be obedient to the Lord and he's going to offer these sacrifices. Think about the two trees in the garden. I, I love this thought. God always gives us this, this uh, a choice. He gives us a choice between all these things. The clean and unclean animals are a symbolic of the fact that God wanted his people to learn to make decisions about obedience, not necessarily that that's a bottom feeder, so don't eat it because you'll get sick. I, I really think that clean and, and unclean animals have more to do with God just saying, these are my animals, I chose them, so you be obedient. I mean, how many of us as parents, and we have a little five-year-old, and we say, we're all going right now to uh, church this morning. I don't want to go to church. Well, I don't care what you want to do. You're going to church because you're... That's who you are. I, I mean, I remember doing that to my kids. I never drug them. I just said, you're a co. We go to church to get your clothes on and let's go. And I think God does almost the same thing here where he says, it doesn't matter what animal it is. I just have some that I've designated as clean. Just be obedient to what I've called you to do. And, and obviously Noah was. He was always obedient. Listen, obedience is important. You might think, well, ah, I can just kind of slide here and slide there and do what I want because it pleases me. And You can't. No, there's a consequence. When God says don't do it, don't do it. Or you're going to bear some kind of consequence for your actions. But again, the Old Testament sacrificial system is pictured in this, this act here of these sacrificial animals, the innocent that are sacrificed, the substitute here, the sin would be covered. So you have clean and unclean animals, symbolic of the fact that God wants people to learn how to make this this decision and be obedient. And from the beginning, God taught his people that that again there were choices. God expects us to make the right choices. And here's where the trees come in. There's two trees in the garden. uh, I I should say there's, there's these two trees in the middle of the garden then you have all these other trees, you can eat of all these things, but don't eat of these two trees, and what does man do? He goes and eats of the two trees that he was forbidden again, choices, throughout scripture we see people they're saved or lost based on their choices, they either belong to God or they belong to Satan they either follow and trust God, or they They stay away from God. The Bible says there's a narrow road, there's a wide road. You have to make a choice, right? And so, again, these sacrifices, these animal sacrifices, were made by choice, by obedience through the people that knew what they were. And I believe that Noah knew what the clean and unclean animals are. So it's just a little side note here. He got seven of these animals. Everything else was just a pair. And I say that because when you get to the New Testament book of Acts, in Acts chapter 10, that all changed. Remember in Acts chapter 10, beautiful story about Peter, and he's down in Joppa. I was I was there. And I remember being in Joppa, and we went to the tanner's house, and he's out on the rooftop, and he's kind of dazed and is kind of tired, and he sees a vision. And it was a sheet. Remember what was on the sheet in Acts chapter 10? A bunch of animals, all different kinds of animals insects, probably snakes, all kinds of animals. And the voice from heaven said, Peter, kill and eat. And remember what Peter said? No way, Lord. I would never, I'm a good Jew boy. I don't eat that stuff. I've I've dedicated myself. I'm not going to touch that stuff. And remember the voice said, do not call unclean what I called clean. So God changes some dietary laws to make the general point that Gentiles would now be acceptable That was the point there. But dietary laws changed at that point in time. But but back during Noah's time, there were these animals, and they were set apart to be sacrificed, again, over and over. Seven pairs of clean animals, it says here, for sacrifice when they came out of the ark. Genesis 9, verse 3 and 4, I'll throw it up here. You can look in your Bible. But every morning or every moving thing that lives shall be for food for you. So they are vegetarians all the way up until chapter 9, these people, these pre-diluvial people. And these eight, these eight people that get off the, the boat, they don't have these animals to eat. These animals were for sacrifice. And they weren't eating any, any uh, meat at that time. And then God says, I want you to To eat meat for food. I've given you all things, even as the green herbs. So now you can have meat and salad, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is its blood. So there's certain things that you can't eat, uh, the blood, and we'll talk more about that when we get there. But think about it. Noah gets out of the ark, and he's going to go to sacrifice, and he takes these two animals that are clean and kills them. And it's like, uh, oops, how are they going to repopulate? Well, because there were seven. That was, that was the whole idea. There are seven. They're replaceable animals. That's why there are sevens. And verse 3, also seven of each bird and air, of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of the earth. And then... Notice in verse 6 Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters were on the earth so Noah was with his sons wife his son's wives and they went to the ark because of the waters of the flood Now here's where we get all that repetition and and here's the important thing that I want you to see I think you probably already will see it but Noah was on the ark for over a year he's going to be on this boat for a year the door shut one window very interesting when you think about it, look at verse 8. Of clean animals, of animals that are unclean, of birds and everything that creeps on the earth, two by two they went into the ark of Noah. Here's, we're getting the story again, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. Just like God said, it's going to happen in seven days, so get ready. Then in the 600th year of Noah's life, The second month, this is significant here, the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heavens were opened and the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. Remember, they were invited and that's when they came. They, were, they and every beast, verse 14, after its kind, all cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Think about that. <laughs> Lines of bugs and worms. I mean, it's pretty interesting when you think that way. Every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort. And they went into the ark to Noah, two by two, of all flesh, in which is the breath of life. So those that entered male and female of all flesh went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Now, it's the timing here that you you get. In verse 11, Noah enters the ark when he's 600 years, two months, and 17 days old. And if you want to jump real quick, jump over to chapter 8, verse 14. Just turn the page there. It tells us when he got off the ark, notice... 601 years 2 months and 27 days old so there's again I love the way the scripture lays this out for us Noah and his family were in the ark for over a year it's pretty interesting huh now maybe they took provisions they God told them to bring food and bring provisions so they had water when you go to the ark encounter I've already seen some of it they have these really interesting water distribution system for the animals very interesting the way uh, the way they're depicting it in Kentucky. And very plausible, very very doable. But the, for a whole year, you have all these animals on the ark and, and his family. are locked on that, that ship there, or that box. Verse 12 tells us that it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, six weeks of a downpour. And we've had hours here where it rains so hard, you know, you get floodwaters. Six weeks. I mean, think about that. And after it stopped raining, it took 150 days for the ark to stop floating. Again, that's chapter 8, verse 3. We'll get that next week. And then three more months before Noah could see the tops of the mountains, chapter 8, verse 5. And then 40 days later, Noah opened the window to let the dove out. Remember, we'll get that next week again. But look at verse 17 here in chapter 7. Now the flood was on the earth 40 days. So here's more repetition. The waters increased, lifted up the ark. And it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth. And the ark moved about on the surface of the waters. Boy, I mean, think of that. How did it move? Big old box. And the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth. And all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed 15 cubits above or upward. And the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life, the spirit of life, all that was on the dry land died. Okay, just for a moment. Imagine yourself, <laughs> it's hard to do, I mean, but, but we've got a great description here in the, in the Bible, but imagine yourself inside that box. You're locked inside the ark. Pretty violent storm. The water's coming down and, and it's and it's moving. It's moving. I don't know which way it was moving up to the side of the ark or one side. Of, maybe there was floodwaters, you know, that came through that area and that bumped the ark and moved the ark. It's lightning. It's rain. And it's never done that before. They're hearing noise that they've never heard before. These people. The ark is rocking. The animals are freaking out. You know how animals, you move an animal. They, they're making noise. So it's probably noisy inside the ark. And then the ark begins to float. And as it floats, you know, it, it's, maybe it's heavier on one side than the other. So it, it pivots a little bit, then it floats a little bit, and it runs into a tree, hits a boulder. Can you imagine being in the ark and it starts to move? You're freaking out inside there. Yes, the Lord was with them. And yes, they trusted the Lord, but I've trusted the Lord and, and I've been in different situations in a car that's out of control and I'm holding the steering wheel and I can't steer because it because we've lost control. It's like, Jesus, you know, whoa. <laughs> You've probably been in a, a place like that and I, I'm sure that these people were like that. And then think about this. All the people that you had preached to All the people that live in that local area, they're trying to get in the ark. What are they doing? They're getting anything they can. They're beating on the side of the ark. They're trying to get in. I wonder if Noah and his family could hear that. They're screaming. They're all over it. You know, the water's coming up the sides. Maybe they climbed up on top. They're they're beating on the side, but this thing is going to move, and it's going to shake, and it's going to tilt until everyone's dead. They're hearing all of these things. They could hear the cries, and slowly, one by one, less and less and less, and finally, all the people died. Verse 23, notice, "'So he destroyed all living things "'which were on the face of the ground, "'both man and cattle, creeping thing and bird of the air. "'They were destroyed from the earth. "'Only Noah and those who were with him "'in the ark remained alive. "'And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days.'" So the ark comes to a a stop now. The waters are receding. The door's not open, the window's not open. You've been in this rough ride for a long time. And now you're thinking, this is really weird. Nobody could survive that. We're the only people alive on the planet. That must have been really weird. I mean, think about what was going through the emotions that these people would have felt. I'm sure they had a heart for their friends. They had friends that didn't repent, that didn't get in the ark. They were nice people, maybe. But they were still evil, and they were unrepentant, and they died. And all that's left are these, these people. Everything else they knew was, was gone. Neighbors and enemies and friends and coworkers all destroyed. The world as they knew it was gone. This is not a movie. This is, this is real life. This is a historical account. And my next point here, these are the horrible consequences of sin. Just the horrible consequences of sin. And this is what we learn from the story. We need to understand, even tonight, not just look back and say, boy, that must have been a really bad time. Hmm, I'm going to go home and you know, go to bed tonight after I watch TV. We need to understand there's a consequence for sin. And these people were under the judgment of that sin when you play with sin something will happen sometimes we rationalize oh i can get away with it nobody can see me i'm in the dark and i'm me in the computer nobody's watching the holy spirit's watching i'm in a different city and, and nobody's watching i remember I was, it's was so funny i've been in different places in the world where you wouldn't think i had met this guy in australia um, in 1991 And I went back in 1997 So it had been quite a few years I only met him for like one day And Esther and I were back there with the kids And we were walking through this little uh, mall in Perth And uh, this guy was actually from the other side He was, I met him in Sydney and, and here we are on the other side I mean, it's like New York and LA We're on, over in Perth And I'm walking through this mall, you know And we just got there a couple of days earlier And, and I hear, Lee, Pastor Lee who the heck? In, a, in an Australian accent, it's like what What is up with that? And I look, and here is this guy. I hardly recognize him, but after we started talking, it was Martin. And I, oh, okay, I remember you, Martin. But you can go places, and people recognize you. You can't hide, and your sin will find you out. That's what the scripture says. There is always a consequence of sin. We try to rationalize it or excuse it, and each time we do that, we lose sight of the holiness of God. And there's going to be a terrible or horrible consequence to it. And I say that because this event of the flood is not just a one-time event. It's going to happen again. This this whole, uh, the Bible tells it there's going to be another day of judgment and that that day is coming. So what I want you to do is, we're going to flip there. We've got a few minutes here. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 24. I'm going to show you how this story is very pertinent to our day and our time because judgment is coming. God judged the world with a flood, with rain, and we're going to see next week the rainbow. I'll never do that again, God says promised. But he's going to destroy the world the next time he's going to do it by another means, by fire. But look at Matthew chapter 24. Jesus is speaking in verse 37. Matthew 24, verse 37. But as... The days of Noah were, Jesus says, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. The second time I return, when Jesus Jesus said the second time that I return, it's gonna be like like that. Verse 38, For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. uh, Then two men will be in a field. One will be taken. The other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken. The other left. And then verse 42. Watch therefore for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Matthew 24 is a prophecy. Jesus is speaking about the second coming. He's going to return and the Day and time, you'll know. You'll know what it's like because there's violence on the earth. There's war. There are people that are just saying, whatever. You know, they they kill somebody one moment and party the next. They do violence to somebody and then party the next. It's just, there's no sense in it all. And that's what Matthew 24 really tells us here. That God is going to destroy the planet again because of man's Sin. And when you read a further description of man's treatment of the world in the future in the book of Revelation, it's all spelled out in that book. It's, it's going to be a terrible day. It's going to be a horrible time of judgment where God begins to judge, judge the unbelieving world. It's, it's going to be a horrible time. So, this story. That we're reading this historical account, it's going to happen again because of the sin of man. And I, I love the fact that that we can make these parallels between the two stories here. Man still has a choice to make still today. Noah had to make the decision to go into the ark. Man today has a decision to either repent and believe or reject. We see that over. And over again in the flood, every person on the face of the earth either repented like Noah and his family and were saved or they rejected God and the door was shut and they all died. Same today. If you accept God's provision, which is Jesus Christ, if you accept Christ, you're protected from all the judgment, from all the condemnation. But those that do not receive Jesus Christ are setting themselves up for judgment. And I I love the fact that God is gracious and he takes, he's long suffering and he always has his witness telling the world, telling the world. Just like Noah in the days of Noah, he was telling the world to repent. They just didn't listen. The same thing's happening today with faithful men and, and those that are witnessing for Christ. If you accept God's provision, you're protected. If you reject it, you're condemned. Now, go to Revelation 20. Again, we'll we'll end with this one, but Revelation 20. It's another place that I I just want to make this, this parallel here. Revelation 20, verse 11. It's really a description of everyone that has ever lived. It's going to be judged by God, everyone. Revelation 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away and there was found no place for them there was a cure, they couldn't get away from the watchful eye of god and and then john says i saw the dead small and great standing before the god and the books were open and another book was open which is the book of life and the dead were judged according to their works the things they did by the things which were written in the books verse 13 the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. Every dead person stands now, is resurrected to stand before the great white throne. And it says, and they were judged, each according to his work. Then death, pardon me, verse 14, Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So going back to the story of Noah, all it is here is the story of Noah is is a warning for you and I today. It's a warning that God still judge, that God has graciously provides a way of escape. In the Old Testament, it's the ark. In the New Testament, it's Jesus Christ. We we have that way of escape, and God's provided that from, uh, he's provided that way of escape from his Judgment. Noah didn't think up the idea of the ark. God provided the ark for Noah. It wasn't Noah's plan. He, he just followed and obeyed God's construction order. God designed the ark. Noah just built the ark. God's ark was the only means for escape for these seven or eight billion people on the planet. But God provided that, and there was only one door. The picture is so, so clear. There was one door, one way to get into the safety of the ark. Notice this verse behind me, John 10, verse 9. Jesus said, I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go, and will go in and out and find pasture. In other words, there's only one way for salvation. The Bible makes it very clear it's through Jesus Christ. He calls himself the door. Think about Noah's neighbors. Again, going back to the story of the flood. All that matters is that a person is sincere. I mean, we do our best. We don't need God. We're, we're good enough for, for that. They perished in the flood. There were those probably in that day that urged Tolerance Ah, Noah's, Noah's just too judgment.al. They perished in the flood. It wasn't enough to know about the ark. Many in Noah's day, they knew about the ark. They saw it being built, but they never got on board. They never believed God like Noah and his family, and they all perished in the flood. God ordained one way for salvation for these pre-diluvial people. God ordained one way for salvation for you and I, and it's through the person of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you're educated or uneducated. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through the person of Jesus Christ. You can ride out the storm even today. Even tonight, you can ride out the storm. You can be assured of glory like like our sister Veronica Otaki, who believed in Christ. She put her faith in Jesus. And as she left the planet this morning, she breathed her last breath, she closed her eyes, and then immediately she opened her eyes and she saw her Savior, Jesus Christ. What a glorious truth. And because she trusted Jesus and went through that door, she is safe. She's saved, she's redeemed, she's glorified. She's now more alive than she's ever been. That's the kind of salvation God provides. And there's only one way. God invited Noah and his family aboard the ark. He said, come on in, come into the ark. And I believe he invites tonight. He invites me, he invites you. If you've never received Christ tonight, he's inviting you. In fact, I want to show you one more verse before we close, Revelation 22:17. 17. And the spirit and the bride say, come and let him who hears, say come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. You make the decision to come as God calls you even tonight. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this story, this historical account of Noah and the flood and his family. It's a a story, Lord, that really shakes us as we we realize that you've provided the way of salvation, but we have to choose. And I pray, Lord, tonight that each and every one that's sitting here listening would have already made that choice. I know most of the people here, and I am grateful, Lord. We're so thankful that, that you worked in our lives, that you showed us and you drew us, and, and we finally believed. And at that moment, we were saved. And I, I pray right now, there's anyone here that's never believed in Jesus, never put their faith in Christ, that tonight you would do so. That you would trust him as your Lord and Savior. And right now as heads are bowed and eyes are closed is there anyone here that would, that would raise their hand and say, Pastor Lee, pray for me. I want to receive Christ. I want the salvation that's free. I, I believe in that, that one way in, in Jesus Christ. Is there anyone here that would say, Pastor Lee, pray for me? <coughs> Receive Jesus. I'm so grateful that, that you, that, that our congregation knows Christ. Father, thank you for the work you've done, the salvation you've given. And thank you for this story that reminds us, Lord, that there's judgment for sin. Help us to live righteously like Noah. Help us to walk in the spirit. Help us to choose to obey you and your law and your ways. And Lord, thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus tonight. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together.